Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. Yeah, we don't have time for all no. that. Welcome back to the Bullshit Filter mm-hmm. episode 4.2, yeah. the anti-vaccination series. Uh, well, in the first episode, Ray, yeah. uh, we just talked about epistemology and heuristics. How do we know what we know and what are the shortcuts that we use yeah. to know what we know because we don't have time to go and become right. uh, doctors and scientists ourselves. So we, we, we need to rely on ways of getting information. Absolutely. In this episode, I want to talk, start off by talking about the history of vaccinations because it's a good story. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, it puts a lot of this stuff uh, into perspective. Okay. Now, um, Chinese, uh, Ray, I don't, I don't know if you know much about the Chinese, Ray, but... Um, <laughs> I'm one-eighth Chinese. Nope, hold on. That's, that's something else. <laughs> Sorry, getting my shows mixed up. Go ahead. The Chinese have been using form a form of vaccination, actually inoculation. Right. Um Probably forever, um, you know, at least since the 10th century. Right, they're smart. To inoculate people against things like smallpox. Now, smallpox is where this all starts. Uh, okay. And smallpox has been around since forever. Uh, the earliest evidence I found of smallpox dates back to the 3rd century BCE. We found evidence of the smallpox virus in Egyptian mummies. Wow. Okay. Now, you ever seen photos of people with smallpox, Ray? Yes, but not mummies with smallpox. No, but just people. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not nice. No. Not nice. No. If you, if you caught smallpox, your body would get covered in a skin rash. Mm-hmm. You get sores in your mouth. Uh, the rash would turn into lumps on your skin filled with fluid, covered in it, head to toe, mm-hmm. covered in lumps filled with fluid, which would then, if you're lucky, scab over and fall off, right. leaving scars. Yeah. If you're unlucky, Mm-mm. you would die. About 30% of people who caught it died from it. Higher rates if uh, a baby Caught. Yeah. yeah. Lots of people who survived it ended up blind. Oh my god. Which was a good thing because they looked so ugly <laughs> after it they <laughs> didn't want to see themselves in the mirror. So it's a good it's a, it's some upsides. Okay. Trust me, you're better off being blind <laughs> because if you can see how horrifying you oh. look right now. In fact, if you had vision, I would I would take a stick and poke your eyes out. Again, doing you a favor. So, you're welcome. Now, obviously, records from pre twentieth century are a little bit uh, uh, touch and go, right? Uh, for a whole variety of reasons, a lot of records got burned in a lot of wars and things getting blown up and shit like that. People just didn't keep records. Just fires. Yeah. Oh shit! Something burnt down. Uh, lost all of our records. Um, But uh, it's estimated that in 18th century Europe, about 400,000 people a year 
died from smallpox. Good and God. Uh-huh. About one third of the cases resulted in blindness. Smallpox is estimated to have killed something like 300 million people in the 20th century. Damn. And around 500 million people in the last 100 years or so of its, of its existence. <laughs> That's that's those are staggering numbers. Did smallpox say to the Black Death, "Here, hold my beer"? I mean, what the mm-hmm. actual fuck? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, as recently as 1967, mm-hmm. the year we you you what year were you born? Sixty eight. Sixty six. Sixty six. There you go. So when the year when you were one year old, mm-hmm. smallpox was. Killing 15... No, sorry, if there were 15 million cases... Right. ...of smallpox. I don't think it killed 15 million, but the 15 million do you cases. Wanna, do you want to know how I survived? You were in a bubble? <laughs> I was in a bubble, baby! Yeah. I was in a bubble. Yeah, yeah that's why you were in a bubble. <laughs> they needed me to live, so they put me in a bubble. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I couldn't help it. No. Yeah. It's just because... They were worried that whatever you had, <laughs> keep it in there, might in there, get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, "Listen, we're just getting on top of smallpox and measles. Whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever this thing got- is, whatever this thing is, <laughs> we can't let it get Heartful. out." Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. Now I mentioned the Chinese had had a had a way of inoculating people against it. It was oh, it sounds like so much fun. They they invented something called nasal insufflation. Don't like this. No, oh. it was a it was a process by which you would blow powdered smallpox material, usually dried up scabs. Fuck. So you take scabs of the blisters off people, sure. grind them up, yeah. put them in a straw, and blow them up somebody's nostrils. Could be worse. <laughs> You know, they say, you want to do a few lines? Sure. Yeah, what, what do you got? Smallpox? Oh, man. Is that the street name? I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> so I was uh, in a Facebook thread on my uh, last night talking about uh, anti-vaccinations and um, a friend of mine who's a doctor in Salt Lake City, uh, Jeff, jumped on and um, we were talking about antibiotics and he said, check out... Uh, Fecal transplants. No. <laughs> Apparently, it's a thing. My if you God. if you take too many antibiotics, the bacteria in your bowels right. die off, and you need to reboot because you need bacteria yeah. in your intestines. Yeah. The way you do it is you get a fecal transplant. They put shit in you. Now, there's two ways you can do it. No. One is via enema. The other way is a feeding tube. No. I'm out. That's what I said about. He said, "Would you rather? Would you rather drink the? Would you rather drink the shake? <laughs> you can have a shit shake. That's how you do your fecal Chocolate transplant. Flavor, right? I assumed initially it was sexy. I said, it sounds like a boob job, but for your butthole. Oh, you get a sexier butthole. Oh, Ray needs one of those. Was my first thought. Because your butthole, honestly." Really, it could use some work. You've, it could. Oh, you've yeah. you've really not been kind to that over the years. I tell you, it looks like one of those. It looks like a sinkhole in Florida. Just 
stuff falling <laughs> around the edges. <laughs> what <are> we <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, in Turkey, at some point, right. they developed uh, a different method of inoculation or variolation, right? As it was also called, where would they they would take pus from a ripe pistule, right, a blister of someone that had the disease, and then they would sort of inject it into someone who didn't have the disease. Mm. Inject, and inject. it worked. Sorry, what was that? Uh, so, so this was way way back, but they were able to inject. Yeah, okay. well, they'd you know just pierce your skin and ah, stick it in there. Gotcha. It, wasn't, it wasn't sophisticated, I think. All right. Now this worked right. uh, some of the time, but it was highly risky. Right. If people caught smallpox naturally during an epidemic, the chance of dying was about one in five. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you got smallpox after being inoculated, your chance of dying was about one in fifty. Wow. So still quite risky, right? Um, but less risky than uh, yeah. getting it naturally. Now, an, an English aristocrat, Lady Mary Wortley Montagu, <laughs> mm-hmm. we have to thank for uh, doing something about this. Uh, she got smallpox when she was, I think, in her late teens, early 20s, um, right. had her quite beautiful face disfigured from it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Fortunately for her, she'd been married off young, so sorry, yeah. Miss, sorry, Mr. Watergue, right. uh, Montague, you Mr. Montague. Yeah. It's all yours. It's all yours. Yeah. Yeah. Love is blind. Like smallpox. Somebody, somebody, he said, somebody give me smallpox. So go blind. <laughs> oh, we're going to hell. Um, yes. He thought he was in hell. She's like, come to bed, dear. He's no, like, no, I'm good. no, no, really, I'm, some I'm good. Yeah. Some, yeah. So much work to do. Um, and she had a brother. She had a brother who died from smallpox. Now, her husband became the ambassador to the Ottoman Empire, and they they went to Constantinople in 1717, and that's where she learned of the the Turkish practice of variolation. Um, Mm -hmm. So then she got the British embassy doctor, Charles Maitland, to perform this on her five-year-old son. Wow. So he would not get smallpox. When they went back to London in 1721, Lady Montague had Maitland inoculate her four-year-old daughter in the presence of the physicians at the royal court. Right. People were like, oh, my God, he's deliberately giving this girl smallpox. And, of course, people were very upset about this and, uh, you know, you, you're messing with God's intentions yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Grand design. Eventually, Maitland was granted the royal license to perform a trial of variolation on six prisoners in 1721. Uh, the prisoners were all told that they would be given their freedom yeah. if they submitted <laughs> and survived. Right. Yeah. I imagine they didn't uh, have a choice, but... You might be free, so not bad. No, they were saying, where's my consent? And he said, well... <laughs> it's my sword yeah, right here. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think uh, some of them did survive uh, and, and uh, got their freedom too. 
Cool. Now, uh, like, so, so, um, actually, all of the prisoners survived. I have it in my notes. Next line. Um, uh, and they later proved to be immune to smallpox. Nice. So, uh, after these first trials, Maitland did other experiments on orphan children. That worked. Finally, in 1722, he treated the two daughters of the Princess of Wales. Wow. Um, and of course, yeah. yeah. And then, and then um, after that, uh, the Queen had her killed by running a Mercedes off the road in Paris. But <laughs> at least her her daughters survived. Now, after that, uh, you know, the, the, the practice of inoculating in England gained general acceptance. Um, Benjamin Franklin, mm-hmm. who lost his own son to smallpox in 1736, right. had the idea of writing a pamphlet about it to distribute in the US. And a friend of his, William Heberden, who was a, also a doctor, did that, ended up uh, printing off 2,000 pamphlets in 1759, which were distributed by Benjamin Franklin around the US. Mm. He, I think he was a he was a printer by trade. Franklin wasn't he from was yeah. one of his yep. one of his businesses. One of them. One of the many. A pamphleteer. He was basically a podcaster. Right. Benjamin Franklin, <laughs> right? The eighteenth century version of a podcaster. <laughs> he'd, he'd go into a room and he'd go, <laughs> "Did you hear about people?" And go, "Oh <laughs> fuck, Benjamin's here." It's, everyone pretend that you give a shit. <laughs> They're double tapping their ears. He goes, "What are you doing?" They go, "Oh, we're just wishing I had AirPods in." You know. <laughs> oh my god! Now, just a signal. That's who was the signal. Benjamin Franklin's in the room. They just start double tapping their ears. It's like double hit, t- touching your nose, and then right. double tap their ears. Why? Wow! Imagine if you could turn your AirPods on by double tapping your nose. Just that. Badass. When are we going to get that? Yeah, that'd be good. They're working on it. Now it just, just means you've been snorting too much coke <laughs> if you're tapping your nose. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, moving on. Yeah. Unless you wanted to say something. Well, I wanted to ask, are you going to get to Edward Jenner? Because he had a, in a minute, because he had a slightly different process. And if he... Get it. Yes. What? Yes. Well, it's about to get into Jenner. So you can pick up the story if you want to talk about EJ. Right. Well, I'll, I'll talk about it. But, but you were talking about people who were actually scraping smallpox off of people, the pustules off of people and, and, and injecting that or inserting that. So when, um, so when it comes to, uh, you know, 1796, you had this English doctor named Edward Jenner who observed that milkmaids who had gotten cowpox, not smallpox, but cowpox, did not show any symptoms of smallpox after variation, if I'm saying that word right. So, so he does his own experiments. And in 1801, he writes a treatise on the origin of the vaccine inoculation, where he summarizes that his discoveries, uh, he talks about his discoveries, and he expresses the hope that the annihilation of smallpox, the most dreadful scourge of the human species, may be the final result of this practice. So I guess my thing is, there's smallpox for humans, cowpox for dog, uh, for, for, for cows, but I think he was, was he using cowpox? you know, scraped off or whatever from cowpox, or was he just using that as an observation and then doing the smallpox? Does my question make sense? Cowpox for dogs. I meant for cows, sorry. <laughs> Fuck the dogs. Well, nice reading from Wikipedia there, Ray. Uh, yeah, thank you. <clears throat> so it's a great amount of effort that you went to there. A little golf clap for Ray, everybody. Thank you. Um, I'm bowing. 
Not exactly true, though. I, oh. I hate to break it to you. Damn, yeah. Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. Let me um, Apparently, the story is a, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but, but Jenna was a an apprentice um, surgeon, apothecary, uh, at the age of 13 in the 1760s, uh, I think. Right. And um, the two guys that he was apprenticed to attended a talk at the Royal Society where there was mention of this urban legend, uh, country medicine story that people that got cowpox didn't uh, get smallpox. Okay. He must have heard of it from these guys. Um, and uh, later on, 30 years later, mm-hmm. he he did his own experiment, apparently. So he still, you know, he, he still gets credit with actually taking the time and ever. No, people kind of knew about this. It was kind of a uh, urban legend, old right. wives' tale, country medicine, old wives' medicine kind of thing. And around about the time, smallpox was killing about 10% of the population uh, or as high as 20% in towns and cities where it tended to spread more quickly because of you know, living standards and, and, and uh, the mm-hmm. state of sanitation in these right. places, how closely people were jammed into huts and shacks and that kind of stuff because it's obviously a transmittable disease. So, yes, he, um, he, he took pus from the hand of a milkmaid that had cowpox scratched it into oh. the arm of an eight-year-old boy, James Phipps, mm-hmm. who was the son of his gardener, and the kid died. So oh. he got another kid <laughs> and tried that, and that kid died. So he got another... No, I'm kidding. Um, he, he, Burnt, kid didn't the die. Store, right. Kid got a bit of a fever, a little bit sick, but he was okay. Six weeks later, he gave the kid smallpox... Um, again, I think the kid had mild fever, something like that. He's in bed for a couple of days, right. and then he was fine. Wow. Um, bad fucking luck if he died, but that was science in 1796. Yeah. Trial and error. Um, by the way, do you know how that kid... That kid did grow up. Do you know uh, how he died? Uh, no, tell me. On the Hindenburg. Oh. Oh. Smallpox uh, inoculation didn't help him that much, did it? Not against fire or exposure. I'm kidding. You didn't didn't die. I trusted you. That's just my it's just my go to now. He died. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone, fucking hell! You believe anything? Heuristics. Right? Heuristic is if Cam says it, it must be true. I'm like Nixon. Well, if the president does it, then it must be legal. Oh, Um, Oh, hold on. We have to stop the show. Did you see Vice? No, I haven't seen it I yet. just saw that last night. Pretty good. Uh, learns some stuff. He makes, um, he makes one decent human being decision in the entire film, and I'm going to leave it right there. Okay. And then he goes back and, 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 and pretty much negates that. But, but it was a good film. Very entertaining. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing yeah. it. I'm a big fan of what um, Adam, uh, whatever his face is, is doing. McKay, yeah. 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 What he's doing at the moment, brilliant. And, you know, Christian Bale and Steve yeah. Carell and all well, those guys, they're great. You know, Adam McKay is basically doing the movie version of the bullshit filter. He's exposing all these different things. So so good for him, and I hope he keeps mm. it up. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking legend. Yeah. 
Um, so Jenner's, uh, Jenner went on, did some other experiments. Then he prepared a paper for it, submitted it to the Royal Society, and they rejected it. Oh. And they were like, nah, we don't think that sounds like good science. <laughs> Um, so he ignored them and kept going, and eventually they all caught on. Now, Jenner is often called the father of immunology, mm-hmm. and it's said that his work has saved more lives than any other human in history. Except for Chinese were doing it a thousand years earlier or whatever? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's that. But, but no, because... So they, again, the Chinese were inoculating with smallpox. Right. He scientized the inoculation uh, with cowpox. Gotcha. Okay. See, the difference here is that uh, if you got inoculated with smallpox, you, you, you still have a chance, a rather high chance of getting smallpox and dying. If you got inoculated with cow, the, the, the side effects of cowpox were a lot lesser. So cowpox and smallpox are uh, similar but different. Sure. Um, uh, in terms of the the bacteria that's causing it, but uh, it, it, virus, bacteria, but whatever it is, fucking I can't remember. Right. Um, but if you uh, get cowpox, then you, you are immune to getting smallpox. So it, it was a safer thing that he did. It's a virus, not a bacteria. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, he made the system, the process. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Good for him. Um, Now, the terms, by the way, vaccine and vaccination Mm -hmm. come from the Latin variolae vaccinae. Wow. Smallpox of the cow, (laughs) which was the Latin that... Jenner came up with to denote cowpox. Okay. You remember from our Renaissance show, the bell yes. in the Palazzo <laughs> yes. della Signoria is called the... Vaca? Vaca. Because? It lows or something. It moans or lows when they ring it because it rings out. Yeah, it sounds like a cow. Right. When right. they ring it. Yeah. <laughs> we both cow noises. Just in case people didn't know what a cow sounded like, we just thought we'd do that. Has <laughs> uh, <laughs> anybody else turned on? Because it's fun. The stadium. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, cow, vaccin- vaccine, vaccination basically means you're going to cow people. <laughs> um, I like that. <laughs> Give me a shot of the old cow there, would you love? <laughs> now, a few years later. Right. Napoleon, who at the time was at war with Britain, right. had all of his troops vaccinated and awarded Edward Jenner a medal and, Damn. at the request of Jenner, released two English prisoners of war. Wow. Napoleon said he could not refuse anything to one of the greatest benefactors of mankind. What a stand-up guy. Napoleon, I mean, yeah, you can you can find his faults, whatever, but, I mean, that's a quality act. Someone like Augustus would do that, but there are a lot of dicks mm-hmm. out there who would not have. Good for him. Mm. Yeah, that's Napoleon, man. He's yeah. like, dude, you, you demand anything you want, it's yours. I know you're British and I'm at war, but, you know, yeah. I don't take it personally. Yeah. Yeah. But for some people, uh, the smallpox vaccination terrified them. Um, sure. You know, they, they... Is it in the Bible? I mean, it was... A, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Now, obviously, it was a bit of a traumatic period. You had to cut the flesh on the child's arm, right. insert some pussy shit yeah. in them. Yeah. Um, you know, horrible, scary. Some clergy said that it was unchristian sure. because the vaccine came from an animal. You were putting animally stuff in the human. It's basically like, yeah, it's basically <laughs> like having sex with a goat. <laughs> Somehow. Um, and, of course, right. there was a general distrust of medicine back then. Yeah. And with good reason. Let's be honest. Medicine back then was pretty hit and miss. I mean, it's still pretty hit and miss in lots of ways. Yes. Even my friend Jeff, who was uh, telling me about fecal transplants, um said that antibiotics are basically just nuclear bombs for the gut, right? They just destroy everything in their path. They're very sort of oh God. Uh, one size fits all. A lot of our medicine is still that yeah. way. You know, that's just the fact of it. We're getting better at it, but it's still yeah. taking a nuclear bomb to lots of things like chemo. You know, you would know all about this. Oh, yeah. Working where you used to work. It's, uh, yeah. well, listen, we're going to kill the cancer. We're going to kill a lot of other shit uh, in the mean, like white blood cells, right? Right, right. Jeez. <sighs> yeah. So a lot of people had a lot of issues, um, religious or otherwise. Uh, they, they also complained that it violated their personal liberty. Right. Uh, huh. and, and then eventually the government developed mandatory vaccine policy, so they didn't have consent. It was mandatory. The Vaccination Act of 1853 in the United Kingdom ordered mandatory vaccination for infants up to three months old, and then the Act of 67, 1867 extended this to 14 years, and there were penalties for vaccine refusal. Let's just go ahead and take a minute and jump into this. So, so this guy comes along, um, Brenner at uh, what seventeen? Jenner, excuse me, seventeen ninety six. This is the mid eighteen hundreds. I mean, they've been doing this stuff for roughly fifty years. I'm sure they've tweaked it as best they could, given the limited technology they have. But generally, it works, and it must work to the point, unless someone's being bribed, where government officials are now going, "Nope, this has to happen because it's for the good of the state." And so that's that whole herd mentality. And so again, not not to piss anybody off but obviously even at this point they realize it might not be perfect but it's working in fact it's working so well we are going to make it mandatory and punish you if you do not do it and i just you know i mean again that that's the either the trust the faith in science or the faith in the results that they can see before their eyes yeah um, you know, herd mentality and herd immunity was what they started to understand mm. back then. And a lot of anti-vaxxers don't believe in herd immunity, right. and we'll get into that um, in later episodes. So, yeah, they made it mandatory, and there was a lot of backlash against that. A lot of people demanded the right to control their own bodies and the bodies of their children, and then they set up things like the Anti-Vaccination League, the wow. Anti-Compulsory Vaccination League. Yeah. Anti-vaccination journals sprang up in the 1860s. So this, this, this whole anti-vaccine thing has been around for you know, at least uh, 160, 170 years mm -hmm. at this level. 
Um, there was the the town of Leicester, mm-hmm. uh, best known from Monopoly. If you play Monopoly, is <laughs> part of the Commonwealth. You probably don't have Leicester Square on your Monopoly board, but it's a it's a big one uh, in British Monopoly. Right. Um, it was a particular hotbed of anti-vaccine activity. A lot of rallies going on during this period. Um, a local paper talked about a rally, said an escort was formed, preceded by a banner, to escort a young mother and two men, all of whom had resolved to give themselves up to police and undergo imprisonment in preference to having their children vaccinated. The three were attended by a numerous crowd. Three hearty Mm-mm. cheers were given for them, which were renewed with increased vigour as they entered the doors of the police cells. Then their kids died um, in smallpox. No, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, but at least they had a rally. Right. Um, you know, and they were in the paper. So, you know. Uh, there was a big demonstration in Leicester in 1885. Somewhere between eighty to 100,000 protesters Damn. were in a big march. Marching down the street with a child's coffin and an effigy of Edward Jenner. <sighs> you- but around about... Yeah, I'm just sorry. I mean, you, you would think by now that word of mouth, the most powerful form of either persuasion or communication, um, would be getting around going, "Hey, yeah, this stuff is ugly. It's painful, whatever." But my kids haven't died, and your kids won't need. I mean, I'm just surprised that again, these people they know what they know, and facts or observation be damned. But I'll leave that right yeah. there. Yeah. Well. <clears throat> You know, it's it's not about facts and it's not about the science. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's about these other issues that people get very passionate about. Personal uh, freedom. And it's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Religion, personal freedom, um, and uh, yeah, and and just this general f- uh, uh, mistrust of science that's always been around and driven. Let's be honest, in large part by religion. Sure. For a long time. On purpose? Because, yes, because science was seen to be encroaching upon the way that religious people saw themselves. I mean, there are Mm -hmm. still people today. Chrissy uh, knows a family here in Brisbane. uh, They're uh, pre-Vatican II Catholics. Wow. uh, uh, From South Africa. They've got, I think, 13 children now. Um, And they... They won't have their children vaccinated. Um, they won't generally take their kids to doctors or to hospitals. Right. Uh, except when one of their kids nearly drowned. Then they yeah. called nine. Well, not nine one one. They called emergency triple zero here. They they took him to hospital. I was like, well, hey, yeah. hey, 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 hey! Okay. Hold on a second here. Thought you didn't believe in hospitals. <laughs> if God wants the kid to die, let him die. It's That's all I'm saying. It's gonna I wonder where people like that fall on dentists. You know, I've got a loose tooth or I've got a huge cavity. Not really a doctor, but kind of a doctor. I'm, I'm being facetious. Not but, really uh, a doctor? Yeah, yeah. yeah, but you know what yeah. I'm saying, yeah. Uh. <clears throat> um, so, and they do it for religious reasons. Right. They, they believe that uh, if God wants you to be sick, then you should be sick, and it's all part of God's plan. Right. So there were people who believed that, obviously, uh, even more so 200 years ago. Yeah. Um, God's got a cunning plan. So then anyway... In the 1880s, Louis Pasteur started to develop the idea of germ theory, Mm -hmm. and he also developed vaccines for cholera and anthrax. And then from the late 19th century, 
countries were very proud of their vaccination programs. It was almost uh, something to do with national prestige, right. how good your army was and how good your vaccination program was because you were you were progressive, you were modern, you were you know uh, implementing these large-scale programs. And there were always backlashes against that. Yeah. But, um, you know, generally speaking, the majority of people have been for ending disease, reducing well, reducing it as much as possible, reducing illness as much as possible. Mm-hmm. The last known natural case of smallpox, by the way, was in 1977. Oh, my God. Africa. The only known case, yeah, in Somalia. Okay. The only known case since then was a laboratory accident in Birmingham, oh, shit. England, right. in 1978. There was a, a woman there, a young woman called Janet Parker. She was a medical photographer at the Birmingham University Medical School. Mm-hmm. She worked one floor above the medical microbiology department where they were doing smallpox research. Um, she became ill on August 11th, 1978, developed a rash on August 15th, but wasn't diagnosed with smallpox until nine days later and died on September 11th, 1978. Four weeks um, after she first became ill, dead, smallpox. I wonder if she was vaccinated. Good question. Don't know. Don't know. Again, so this is one of those moments where I'm not trying to piss anybody off. I'm just trying to bring this up. So... Smallpox, pretty freaking tense. Been it's been around for at least you know a couple thousand years. The Chinese have been dealing with it since what one thousand BCE. I don't know. It's been around for a long time. We come up with this. The the Turks, the Chinese, the British. They come up with this. We start using it. We get better at it. We implement it. And by nineteen seventy seven, I think you said we have eradicated. Until that accident, we have eradicated. Smallpox. Now, I guess an anti-vaxxer would say yes, but along the way, I guess they would say there are some people, some percentage of people that have had reactions to the vaccine. Some have probably died. Some have suffered in other ways or whatever. So I guess that would be their argument. But I I wish we had an anti-vaxxer here because I would just genuinely ask, can you, do you acknowledge that it was these vaccines that eradicated smallpox, which used to be, I guess, the number two killer besides the Black Plague. I mean, I, I, want, I, would, I would really love to know their position on it. Do they acknowledge that? But at the same time, from what I've read, they would probably talk about all the people who had really bad and even fatal reactions to being vaccinated, which is probably one of their main points. Yeah, and we'll get into okay. all of that. By the way, I, did, I looked it up. Parker was vaccinated in 1966, mm-hmm. but caught it anyway. Different strain. Who knows? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Really? Yeah, I'm surprised by that. I'm uh, listen, not. listen to this. Um, the funeral <laughs> it was a quote from the funeral director oh. who grabbed her body. Right. Um, he was told that authorities wouldn't allow the body to be stored in a fridge. Yeah. In case the virus managed to multiply, this is a quote from him. I was expecting to retrieve the body from a fridge in the mortuary, but it was stored in a body bag that was kept on the floor of a garage away from the main hospital building. She was in a transparent body bag. Oh, God. Packed, 
packed with wood shavings and sawdust. There was also some kind of liquid, and I remember that I was frightened that the bag would split open. Yes. The body was covered in sores and scars. It was quite horrific. I was on my own and I needed help to lift the body, nope. but I managed to get her into the van. I'm People out. from the hospital were very <laughs> wary of helping me. When the day of the funeral arrived, the cars were given an escort by unmarked police vehicles just in case there was an accident. Right. The body had to be cremated because there was a chance the virus could have thrived in the ground if Mrs. Parker had been buried. Oh, my God. All other funerals were cancelled that day and the Robin Hood crematorium was thoroughly cleaned afterwards. The uh, Robin Hood crematorium? Yeah. What got, the fuck? They love their folksy heroes. There's probably It's probably next to the King Arthur Hospital, so who knows? Now, in case people are thinking, well, she was vaccinated and she still got it, so what's the point? Vaccinations don't work. Her mother also contracted smallpox. Yeah. Despite being vaccinated right. uh, on the 24th of August. So, uh, her, you know, uh, Parker's um, symptoms broke out on the 11th of August. Mm-hmm. She wasn't diagnosed, what did I say later? Four, About Four uh, weeks later or something like that. No, she became ill on August 11th, Mm -hmm. developed a rash on August 15th, wasn't diagnosed with smallpox until nine days later. So that's uh, the 24th. Her mother was vaccinated against the disease on the 24th, um, contracted smallpox on the 7th of September, started showing symptoms. Right. But... Her case was described as very minor, and she survived and was discharged from hospital on the 22nd of September. Good for her. Um, after her daughter died, um, was already dead. Yeah. So tragic. But there you go. Um, so that was the end of smallpox. As uh, as I think you said, it was uh, – well, apparently she got uh, – they think Parker – became infected uh, through the medical building's duct system. Right. Um, or maybe she had been down to that floor, might have, might have got infected by a direct cause. Some of it leaked out. Anyway, yeah. smallpox was officially declared eradicated in 1979. And I, I kind of remember that. I was I was nine years old. I remember it being a big thing. Right. No, I mean, as much as you take aware, being aware of these things as a kid, right. no more smallpox. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, let's let's talk about some of the more modern things. So you can't talk about anti-vax movement without talking about Andrew Wakefield. Okay. I'm sure everyone has heard of Andrew Wakefield, and I'm not going to tell, not going to take too long to tell his story. But basically, well, let's do it at a high level. So the the modern anti-vax movement really kicked into gear around 1998 when this British doctor, Andrew Wakefield, published a study in a scientific publication called The Lancet Mm -hmm. where he suggested that measles, mumps and rubella vaccine could trigger autism. Right. If you you had all three of the vaccines in one shot – as opposed to separately, that it that it might bring on you know the onset of autism. Yeah, so he was he was, I I, I don't know. I just find this whole thing fascinating. So we're going along, everything's fine, and suddenly this break this guy brings up this theory, 
And and as you as you probably have in your research, I mean, the country went freaking crazy, huge backlash against the idea of vaccines, against what might happen to their kids. It should have, I don't know, it seems to me it should have been more of a, huh, but no, that's not what happened. The civilians who were not doctors absolutely went apeshit. Really? Yeah. It's like Planet of the Apes. Exactly. Just running around. Just- just <laughs> chaos in the street. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, people people were uh, freaked out by this. Vaccination rates uh, with with infants in England dropped substantially, dropped below eighty uh, percent in the next couple of years. Yeah. Uh, but his his claims started to come apart six years later, Jeez. in two thousand and four, after an investigative reporter called Brian Deer mm-hmm. wrote in the Sunday Times, which is a Murdoch paper. Ooh. Uh, he wrote about his investigation into Wakefield's claims and Wakefield himself. Now, uh, he, he, he sort of disclosed that Wakefield had developed uh, and applied for a patent on his own measles vaccine before he released his Lancet ah. paper. So, you know, people are like, well, Big Pharma is trying to profit from this. Yeah, and so was Wakefield. <laughs> right. Uh, by the looks of it. He he planned to launch a business venture on the back of uh, the MMR vaccination scare that would profit from new medical tests and a lot of litigation that they expected to come out of this. Right. He had apparently told at least one person, I think his his partner in the venture, that he could make $43 million a year from Shit. selling diagnostic kits. Right. Um, now, he hadn't disclosed any of this publicly uh, at the time he released his article. You know, you, yeah. you would think that as a good scientist, you should talk about any c- conflicts of interest. Exactly. Yeah. He had also received £430,000, over £430,000, from a law firm that was trying to sue companies making the MMR vaccine. Oh, my God. He hadn't revealed that either when he published his Lancet article. So Lancet ended up retracting the paper in 2010. Whoa. They basically had concerns. It is, you know, 12 years later. They had concerns about his ethics, his misrepresentation, and then not long after that, the United Kingdom pulled, permanently pulled Wakefield's medical license. Right. And he's not allowed to practice in the United States where he's currently living, but I'm not trying to get ahead of the story. So basically, yeah, the article, his license... uh, they pretty much came down on, on this guy. But again, 12 years later, when it's become, what do you, what do you call it? When, when an idea, even though it's false, has been around for 12 years, it's, it's, it's a part of the mainstream now. It doesn't matter that it gets rejected. It's, it's, it's what you know because it's been around for 12 years, for a certain generation anyway. Yeah. Now, uh, Wakefield began libel proceedings against the Sunday Times and the journalist, Brian Deere, but ended up withdrawing them, even though they begged him to continue Mm. and are still begging him to continue. Wakefield continues to claim he's innocent, uh, but 
you know, the Sunday Times and Deer have both said, well, if that's the case, you should sue us. Right. And, you know, you become very rich men. Yeah. Um, but he is declined to do that. Now, maybe it's because suing them would uh, take a long time and cost a lot of money, but I'm pretty sure that he'd be able to find funding. Like Jenny McCarthy could probably fund him to do it. You're right. Pretty sure he could get the funding to, if he's that confident in Victor. He'll find a law firm. You know, law firms yeah. will do this sort of stuff pro bono if get they look at, the at your evidence and go, yeah. Yeah, "Yeah, well, absolutely, you're 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 free. We're going to become famous and we're going to get rich out of this." Right. Uh, so if he had a case, you'd think he would probably be suing, but he's not, which. <laughs> Is certainly an indication that he may be guilty as charged. Right. And again, the other part of this is until he says something in 1998, I believe in his paper in The Lancet, it's not like there were, as far as I can find, tons of cases of autism from from the injection. So again, it's it, he, he says it, he makes a big stink about it, it becomes a part of the, uh, the common thread, it gets disproven, but the point is, it's not like it was out there in massive numbers, so... When the what is it the British medical um, the British medical authorities the the British medical journal they they say he's fraudulent they pull his license like you said I mean there's a good chance we don't know we're not doctors but there's a good chance this guy is full of shit and he thought he'd found a way to make a ton of money it didn't work out that doesn't make him right and for people that still support him to this day that just boggles my mind. Now, as I said, Sunday Times is a Murdoch paper, and of course, right. for good reason, we don't trust anything that comes out of any Murdoch publication. Right. But again, if if he is innocent, he sh- he, he would sue. He would um, go for it. And see yeah. it through, yeah. and he hasn't, so I think that's, as I said, an, a pretty good indicator. Now, of course, a lot of people uh, still support him and believe he is innocent and he's true. They assume that the UK government's corrupt, uh, the Lancet's corrupt, Sunday Times is corrupt. Right. Every other scientist in the world that says there's no link between the MMR vaccine and right. autism are corrupt. Right. But Wakefield, they believe. Now, yeah. again, this comes back to what I talked about in the first episode. Ah. It's about our heuristics and um, epistemology. Why do you decide to believe this one guy mm-hmm. is is honest and and? Everybody else in the world is corrupt. Right. Well, that's the question that you need to answer um, for yourselves, right, if if you're one of those people. Sure. Now, uh, the MMR autism thing made headlines again a couple of years ago, 2016, when Wakefield made a documentary called Vaxxed. Um, You you know, you'd think he was so thoroughly discredited that he'd never want to show his face in public again, but he's doubling down. This documentary alleges a cover-up by the CDC in the United States, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which we'll be talking about a lot over the course of this series. Mm-hmm. Now, the, I haven't seen the film, but I've, I've read the pricey on it. It's basically about a former bioengineer called Brian Hooker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just want to point out that he is not now, nor has he ever been an epidemiologist, a person right. who's an expert in the you know the sort of of diseases the the incidence and control of diseases he's a bioengineer different fields scientist yes right. disease specialist no gotcha. anyway he took issue with a 
2004 CDC study that showed there was no overall difference in uh, vaccination rates between kids with and without autism. Mm-hmm. Now, he claimed he had reanalyzed the data, claimed the CDC had hidden evidence that the vaccine could increase autism risk in black children, boys oh, specifically, black right. boys. Now, Hooker's analysis on that data has been thoroughly debunked by lots of people that know what they're talking about as being crap. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Wakefield went ahead and made the documentary and a lot of people, uh, the, the anti-vaxxer people who responded to my calls for evidence sent me links to either the right. uh, documentary or to interviews with him on Infowars. And as I said before, no, straight, since you sent me something from Infowars, that's a no, big no. Um, you might as well send me something Trump said. And go, look, Donald Trump, yeah, okay. Windmill Next. cancers, yeah. Trump's, and Trump, by the way, is a uh, 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 anti-vaxxer, big supporter of the anti-vaxxer movement. Oh um, has has supported the theory that vaccines create autism, et cetera, et cetera, which we'll get into right. that in later episodes. Um, now, this hooker guy, by the way, the former bioengineer, has a teenage son with autism. Right. So, you know, he's, he's personally involved sure. in this. Yeah. Doesn't mean that he's wrong, of course, but just means he has a personal emotional interest in this. Um, and currently works as an associate professor at Simpson University, which describes itself as a Christ-centered learning community. Okay. I don't know how you put those four words together, uh, <laughs> unless you're a Bible college. Right? Um, oh what God. is a Christ-centered... Well, we're studying uh, vaccinations today. What does Jesus have to say about it? Let's right. go and look at Let's that. Let's look that up. Yeah. yeah. When discussing the smallpox vaccine, Jesus said... So anyway, um, <laughs> now, in fact, his, whole, his criticism, as I understand, is probably wrong. The CDC did note in their paper on this that the rates of vaccination in the oldest age group were slightly higher in kids with autism. Mm -hmm. But said that this was most likely a result of immunisation requirements for preschool special education program attendance in children with autism. All right. So, yeah, yeah, you know, if you had kids, autistic kids, they were getting making sure that they were all vaccinated. More of them were vaccinated. Yeah. um, Possibly because they had higher chances of of catching diseases because of their uh, inability to maybe wash their hands or things like that at an early age. Um, So, again, yes, causation, uh, uh, correlation isn't causation, et cetera, as they say. And here's one of the things I was uh, talking about on the previous episode about where you have people with facts like that, the stat that you just that you just mentioned about kids with autism going to school early so they have to be vaccinated. Yeah, if you want to, you could take that link that may or may not be there, but depending on your point of view, and you could see it a certain way. And I think that's one of the main arguments that the anti-vaxxers are going to use is that is that 
um, studies are skewed. They're, they're rigged. They're set up on purpose. We'll, we'll probably go into that later. If I could just give one more shot, no pun intended, to this MMR stuff with Wakefield. Um, as far as I know, as far as I could tell, the process that we use to give the MMR shots, which is you get one about 12, when you're about 12 months old, and then you get another one when you're five or six, the second half of it. We were doing that before Wakefield. Um, he caused a bunch of trauma, and then it went back to that. And again, if we went back to giving you know the three shots in one, you would think there would be an increased, um, a noted increase of uh, of cases of autism, which d- appears not to be the case. So again, I think it's just another thing that he was an opportunist, and that he was long uh, wrong, and that he was actually lying. I don't care what Jenny McCarthy says, and I, I don't know what happened to her child, and I feel very sorry for her and her child. But again, since we went back to what we were doing before Wakefield, it's just another indication that. This has already been worked out, and it's it's as safe as it's going to get. And they went back to that practice. I think, actually, though, Ray, mm-hmm. there are increasing uh, cases of autism. Mm, okay. Where where did you get the idea that there weren't? No, I mean specifically from the MMR vaccine, because because as far as I could tell. Uh, I was reading a New York Times article from 2015. We went back; they went back to giving the shots as they were doing before Wakefield came on the scene. But if you have yeah, something so, else, um, yeah. No, so my understanding is that th- there have been plenty of studies, um, and and plenty came out after this whole uh, Brian Hooker claim. Sure, plenty of studies that have found no evidence that MMR causes autism. There was a, a meta-analysis done by the magazine Vaccine, which is run by the Edward Jenner Foundation, I think, in 2014. Mm-hmm. They looked at studies involving a total of almost 1.3 million people right? Um, and, and declared that there was no connection that they could find between MMR and autism. Uh, also, the Journal of the American Medical Association in 2014 reported that there was no difference uh, in autism rates between thousands of vaccinated and unvaccinated mm. children. So autism is there in equal amounts in both vaccinated and unvaccinated children. Right. Now, it does seem, I think, that the, uh, from what I've seen Incidence of autism is on the rise, but and we'll get into this, uh, I think, in the next episode in more detail. But um, it's uh, possibly because people are more aware of it, and we're diagnosing it younger. Right. Uh, our diagnostic uh, methodologies are, oh, are better. We're, yeah. in fact, we're diagnosing it in children as young as two months old now, whereas previously it wasn't something that was diagnosed until kids were like two or three. Right. And in fact, there, uh, there are studies now that are suggesting we can probably diagnose it in utero. And the suggestion from both of those, obviously kids aren't getting vaccinated in right. the womb That's or first. at two months of age. Yeah. So the, the suggestion is that it's, quite possibly genetic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know I've got friends of mine um, in the tech industry that have kids with Asperger's. Right. Asperger's incidence is actually quite high 
in the children of people who work in the tech industry. Mm. I've heard, I haven't seen any scientific study on this, but I know a lot of friends in the tech industry have told me this who have Asperger's E children. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and what I've heard is that you get two really, really smart people mm-hmm. who are both in the tech industry, right. uh, very high IQ, and they have children. Children often end up with uh, Asperger's. Gotcha. Um, hmm. So anyway, the suggestions from this real scientific study is that it's probably um, – uh, genetic, and it probably the, the increasing rates of it have a lot to do with the fact that we're just paying more attention and, and, right. and noticing it Detective. earlier. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, I think we'll, we'll wrap up this episode now. I want to get next. I'm going to start a new sort of chapter in the next episode, getting into some of the major claims of the anti-vaxxers. But suffice to say that Andrew Wakefield has been thoroughly discredited personally mm-hmm. and his studies, his claims and his studies have been thoroughly debunked. Yeah. Now, people may say, well, I believe him and I disbelieve the rest of the industry. I think the rest of the industry is corrupt mm. and he is the only honest person. Right. Willing to step uh, out and, and but, speak the truth. Yeah. Yes. He's a whistleblower, right. I guess. You might think of him like that. And fair enough, I mean, that kind of thing can happen, but you have to ask yourself seriously, well, on what basis are you choosing to believe him and choosing to believe the rest of the industry is lying? Mm -hmm. What evidence do you have to support the rest of the industry is lying? And despite the evidence that he uh, covered up his direct and personal financial interest in uh, besmirching the MMR right. vaccine, would you still choose to believe that he is a credible source of information? These are the questions I would be asking myself. Yeah. Oh, and I just want to say this last thing before we go, because you're a big fan of uh, West Wing. Um, the New York Times article that I wrote, you know, linked him, linked Jenny McCarthy with him, and Jenny McCarthy actually wrote the forward to a to an autobiography that he put out. And the best way that this um, writer from the New York Times could uh, could describe this entire thing, he basically he said of Jenny McCarthy's son, he got the shot and then he was discovered to be autistic. But that doesn't automatically mean that that's one cause of the other. So in other words, as we learned from the West Wing, post hoc ergo proctor hoc. Um, which we talked about before. Uh, uh, what is this? After this, before, because of this. And again, just because event B follows event A, that does not mean B was the direct result of A. Afterwards, therefore, because of it. Yes. 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 Yes, it's a logical fallacy. Um, so that's the Wakefield story. I'll leave you with that. And in our next episode, we'll start to look at some of the, uh, some of the main, the main claims of the anti-vax movement. 